0: Hello and welcome to UNFASIP's monthly podcast Out Loud. My name is Ersinos Toijan and today, during our podcast, we will be talking about the different sustainable development goals in Cyprus. The sustainable development goals, also known as the global goals, were adopted by the United Nations in 2015 as a universal call to action to end poverty and discrimination against women and girls protect the planet and ensure that by 2030, all people enjoy peace and prosperity. The 17 goals are integrated. They recognise that action in one area will affect outcomes in others and that development must balance social, economic and environmental sustainability. So now let's talk about the global goal, life on land. I'm pleased to welcome academic Professor Dr. Iris Haralambido to talk about her work. Dr. Iris, welcome. You have worked and led many environmental projects and carried out research into the biodiversity of the buffer zone in Cyprus. Can you tell us about the importance of this research? What are some of the particularities of biodiversity in Cyprus? and why is it so important, not only to protect it, but to make it thrive.
1: Okay, good morning Ersin, many thanks for inviting me to your podcast, to this programme. As you've mentioned, I've been involved in various environmental projects in Cyprus. Uh, One of the most enjoyable one, I must say, was when I was cooperating with my colleague, Professor Salih Kujel from the Near East University and also with Dr. Nicolas Giraud, who used to be working for UNDP. We actually conducted the study of the biodiversity in the buffer zone. And uh, first of all, the biodiversity of Cyprus is incredibly important because there are various uh, areas globally that are called biodiversity hotspots. And that's where a lot of uh, biodiversity may be found. And actually, Cyprus is within one of the global hotspots for biodiversity. This means that we have very high levels of uh, biodiversity. It means that we have lots of species of plants and animals, for example. And many of the species that we have are endemic. And this means that they only exist in Cyprus and nowhere else in the world. So Cyprus has very high endemism especially for plants and uh, reptiles and uh, insects, arachnids. We also have some endemic bird species. Uh, We are the only country in Europe that's listed in in a book, which is called Endemic Bird Areas of the World. So as you can imagine, actually the biodiversity of Cyprus is incredibly important.
0: Thank you, Iris. The work that you're doing is so important. And I think it would be great if you could share a message with our audience on how they can contribute to protecting our shared environment on the island.
1: Well I would say first of all it would be important for people to become aware of how important the island is for biodiversity. Up until recently it's only been included in the school curricula in recent years. I have to say most people inside who live in Cyprus are not aware of uh, how important biodiversity is here so I would uh, I would say that becoming aware of uh, the environment in Cyprus would be a first step and also being able to follow what's happening uh, globally for example in relation to climate change and then there are many other ways that people may contribute to protecting the environment for example by the way uh, by changing our consumer habits so first of all to become more aware as consumers as well about the products that we consume and where we buy our products from and what impact these products have uh, on the environment in general. Another important issue in Cyprus in relation to biodiversity is actually there's lots of land degradation going on here. So one of the most serious impacts on the environment not just here but globally is loss of habitat for uh, for wildlife and for biodiversity. So to be more aware as well of these issues as well, to realize that, for example, we need to have more sustainable agriculture on the island, for example. Keeping in mind that there are regular droughts on the island, there are water. Maybe to become aware of how many pesticides are being used in uh, the production of our agricultural products. So basically, it's it's becoming aware of what's going on on the island and globally and making wiser decisions about the products that we use and also about how we dispose of those products at the end.
0: Yeah, educating yourself really to to become more knowledgeable about the entire issue really is the message. I think knowledge is very important and once you're informed about something, then you can take the action to help improve things that you're doing personally as an individual.
1: Exactly, and so to become as a consumer more aware of the products that we consume, Also, another way that people in Cyprus may contribute uh, to protecting the environment, there are various conservation organisations. People could volunteer at these organisations as well. There are various organisations that have to do with protecting biodiversity and wildlife, but there are also other organisations that have to do with recycling uh, Mm -hmm. different products, keeping Cyprus green, replanting uh, parts of the forest that have been burnt, So actually there are lots of activities that people may be involved
0: in as well. It's surprising once you um, look into a topic or a subject, how much is out there, how much information is there really, if you're just looking for it to be able to educate yourself. So I can understand exactly what you're saying with being informed and becoming more aware.
1: Exactly. And actually, in in the last years, at least the last 10, 20 years, there's been a huge increase in lots of civil society organizations in Cyprus as well, where the citizens can actually, as I mentioned earlier, take part in different activities. Many people now are involved in uh, replanting trees or in collecting rubbish, or like I mentioned earlier, in uh, recycling uh, projects in uh, trying to reduce the use of plastic on the island. So actually there's lots of various activities that members of the public may be involved in and they can actually choose because there's a huge variety of activities to do.
0: Thank you, Iris. That was really, really interesting, and I'm sure our listeners enjoyed the um, conversation. Is there anything else that you think you would like to add?
1: Thank you, Now, I I just would like to mention some of the uh, interesting species that we have in Cyprus when we talk about biodiversity. For example, many people in Cyprus, they're aware that we have a marine turtle that nests in Cyprus they're not aware that actually we have two species of marine turtles nesting in Cyprus the loggerhead turtle and the green turtle and these are actually uh, important at a global uh, scale so these need to protect, be protected globally not just in Cyprus We also have uh, a very rare, the rarest seal on the planet, that actually we find that in the seas around Cyprus. It's called the monk seal and it nests in some of the coastal caves. It's very shy. We have lots of interesting, other interesting reptiles that are, many of them are endemic. We also have many interesting bird species on the island. Actually, many people come from abroad to Cyprus. They visit Cyprus specifically. To go birdwatching. So, our biodiversity can also be a tourist product. It can contribute, and it does, it contributes to the economy of the island.
0: Iris, thank you for joining me and sharing so much of your research and the important information on how we can all contribute to protecting our shared environment on the island. Life below water is a global goal, and the careful management of this essential global resource is a key feature for a sustainable future. So we've invited Meirem Oskan, who is a project officer at the Society for the Protection of Turtles, SPOT, to talk about their projects and their work to protect marine life and the coastline. Meirem, welcome. Hi, hello. SPOT is one of the longest established marine conservation organizations in Cyprus. So Melin, can you please tell us about the Turtle Project and how as a project officer you're working to protect the coastline?
2: Marine Turtle Conservation Project is um, a project going on for 30 years now. We are in our 31st, very happy and proud. Um, It started in 1992 when One biologist at that time figured out there were marine turtles and he was aware that they were endangered. So he invited a few of the universities over to send some students to help collect data and see how we are doing with them. We started doing marine turtle conservation projects on land to try and protect the marine turtle nests but then figured that wasn't going to be sufficient and we needed to protect them in sea as well. And we started looking into how they are being affected by fisheries in the sea and developed some projects to help protect them in the sea by accidental captures. And then that one led to marine protected areas being applied this last year. So we are working pretty hard and me as the project officer on spot. I am helping recruit the volunteers from overseas
0: and our local volunteers. Wow, that's really interesting. I never knew that you actually um had a project to protect them within the sea, as well as on the land. I knew about the land one, but I didn't realize, yeah, the importance of it within the sea. So that's a great project that you're running there. SPOT mm-hmm. also organizes clean up projects. And I'm sure our audience would be interested to hear more about the logistics side of organizing such a project and how they can go about joining hands with SPOT to take part in these activities.
2: Well, I'd like to start with actually telling you about why we started hosting the beach cleanups. It's pretty well known that once people experience certain situations, they are impacted by them a lot more than someone coming and telling to you about it all. And we As scientists know that marine debris, marine pollution is a very big influencing factor on the marine life. And so when we started posting about marine debris and how it was all washing up on our coasts and not only that it is harming the life on the beaches and people visiting the beaches but also it is affecting the life in sea we started getting some comments about how people could be engaged how they could also do something to try and correct it all and so we started hosting beach cleanups a few years ago and it started with reaching out to a few schools seeing if they would like to send some students and then we started having schools contact us then some governmental organizations and then UN contacting us about the beach cleanups how people could come and be a part of the beach cleanups and see how much they can collect but also as an outcome of the beach cleaning activities they can see how much our consumerism is actually ending up costing animals and the flora on beaches their lives. So, um, it is, it's, it's, been, it's, it's, how, it's how we started doing it all.
0: Uh, Meryem, in your um, reply to me just now, you mentioned your collaboration with the UN. Can you go into a little bit more detail about that collaboration for us?
2: Well, um, UN firstly two years ago collaborated with us on a beach cleanup, and it was not just UN, but they they passed on invitations to a lot of youth groups, some NGOs, some students' initi- initiatives on both parts of the island, and then we had a very nice intercommunal group, not only of the groups that were already formed in the south and north but under the UN's umbrella there were youth champions that were also trying to form their own environmental um, NGOs or initiatives or groups and all those people looking to become activists were then receiving invitations to come and join a beach cleanup activity in one of the worstly affected beaches of Cyprus from marine debris. So that beach cleaning activity that UN held was important because we collected hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilos of marine debris that that washed up. But also, it was a great outreach for us because we then made friends and partners and people that we could depend on for future cleanups. It was also the start of a very beautiful series of collaborations with UN, I'm going to say. Because that day, apart from all the youth that they invited, in their newsletter, I think, they shared the invitation to the beach cleanup. And one of the UN's military groups also joined us. And let me tell you, those guys clean beaches really well. And this year, we held a second one of those beach cleanups. And once again, we cleaned up hundreds and hundreds of kilos of beach plastic, some glass, and also, unfortunately, both last year and this year, we've had some um, washed tar on the beaches. We collected more than 50, 60 kilos of tar during our cleanups as well so yeah that was that was how our UN collaboration started
0: and that's how they're going on now it sounds amazing and it's like um, a great platform to be able to bring the youth together and work together on the issues at hand so well done for collaborating and working together it's amazing
2: yeah we are really happy that when UN wanted to collaborate with us and made the marine conservation efforts also an option for people to take the direction of within their umbrella that made us really happy.
0: Thank you Mirin, it was a pleasure talking to you, thank you for joining us today. It was, it was lovely
2: being hosted by you and thank you very much for listening to me.
0: let's talk to Tuche Gemysters who's a Youth Champion and Elkoi Coordinator. Tuche has joined me to talk about the Climate Action Global Goal and the role of youth in their work. Tuche, welcome!
3: Well, thank you, thank you very much. First of all, greetings to everyone tuning in to the Loud podcast. My name is Tukce Demisos. I study Sustainable Energy Engineering at KTH, the Institute of Technology in Stockholm, Sweden. And I must say it's a privilege to represent the passionate and driven youth of Cyprus, especially in these pivotal times when our island and all the world faces the pressing challenge of climate change. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Turchia. Turchia, can you talk about the role of youth to address climate change on the island?
3: As a former youth champion and Elkoi coordinator, uh, as you know, Elkoi Cyprus, I have the unique opportunity to witness firsthand the dedication, um, innovation and adaptability of Cypriot youth in their commitment to environmental preservation and sustainable living. We believe in productive participation and we know that the challenges we face can be tackled if we act together. And then I would like to express my appreciation to Infysip for giving the youth of Cyprus a platform to share our perspectives, concerns, and most importantly, our solutions. So uh, when we look at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, it resonated uh, deeply with us. And of course, the goal 13, as you mentioned, the climate action holds a special place in our collective efforts. Um, As we know, the climate change isn't just a global issue, it's deeply personal to many of us. So uh, given that Cyprus with its unique geography and biodiversity, Stands at crossroad and we have seen the impacts of the rising temperatures, uh, changing rainfall patterns and um, increasing climate climatic events as you know but uh what inspires me every day is how are you are not waiting for change. Uh, we are actually catalyzing it, as you know, with our uh, conferences with Elkoy Cyprus uh, 2023 and uh, 22 last year. So Elkoy specifically means a local conference of youth, which is an event that precedes in the annual international conference of parties, COP, aka COP, organized under the UN framework of Convention of Climate Change. So what's our purpose in this? Of course, as you asked, uh, what is the role of youth in climate action? We are trying to gather young people to discuss climate-related issues, formulate position papers and proposals to represent youth youth perspectives and provide a preparatory platform for young delegates attending COP or uh, the global COI, so uh, this is what we do. Thank,
0: thank you to chair.
3: Well, what I can say, as I said, like Cyprus is impacted heavily by the climate change. Of course, this is like an island nation in the Eastern Mediterranean Sea. We have a custodian role to inform and to to go further to uh, protect our climate and environment. So what we do, uh, as as I have said, uh, we have seen the impacts of the rising temperatures, changing rainfall patterns and increasing climate events, so what we do to prevent this uh, from local tree planting initiatives and beach cleanups, drives to we drive to educate our peers about sustainable living practices and advocating for green policies. Our youth are the forefront of climate action in Cyprus actually, so our role is not just about activism, it's about collaboration, understanding and mutual respect all across Cyprus. So, what we do, we aim to work together with uh, governments, businesses, communities and of course organizations like UNFISEP to create a sustainable future for all in our small island so yeah uh, what we can, what i can say as a youth champion and a coordinator coordinator support has been uh, instrumental in this journey by fostering dialogue between communities in cyprus providing resources and amplifying our efforts so we're able to do at the end of the day we believe that we we were able to showcase the power of youth in this sense. With our efforts with conferences about climate change and the beach cleanups and the tea planting initiatives, we try to let all the public know about the climate change or environmental issues in Cyprus. And of course, this all partnership signific- signifies a promising future for Cyprus. And I believe, personally, a future where every individual, young or old, doesn't matter, plays a part in shaping our island's destiny. Yeah, I would like to encourage everyone in the island or everywhere in the world uh, to join us in this vital journey of climate activism. Of course, as we know, climate change is not a youth issue on me. It affects all of us, but together, with determination, unity, and the shared vision, we can build a very resilient, sustainable, and prosperous future for Cyprus
0: and for all world. Oh, thank you, teacher. That was a lovely message that you ended on. Thank you for joining me. My guests, Christina Dimiotu and Mihailis have joined me to talk about their work, their upcoming London exhibition, and the Responsible Consumption and Production Global Goal, which is about ensuring sustainable consumption and production patterns, which is key to sustain the livelihood of current and future generations. Unsustainable patterns of consumption and production are root causes of the triple planetary crisis of climate change Biodiversity loss and pollution. Christina is the director and coordinator of Fashion Heritage in Cyprus, and Mihailis is a fashion textile designer. Christina and Mihailis, welcome. Christina, can you tell us about the work you do and particularly the Fashion Heritage Project?
4: Thank you so much for this invitation the fashion heritage network is a creative youth group it started two years ago um, and our goal is to preserve the Cypriot cultural heritage by engaging with the youth through a uh, sustainable fashion so what we do essentially is we bring together a group of young Cypriot fashion designers from all around the island and we give them opportunities to showcase their work because unfortunately fashion designers in Cyprus, especially young ones, do not have many opportunities. So we want to give them this opportunity and we've given them a theme which is Cypriot cultural heritage because it's something that the youth across the island shares. And it's something that is very rich and unique, and we want to do our best to celebrate it and preserve it. And because young people have become more distant from their culture, we have found this more innovative and engaging way to attract their attention and make them interested in order to uh, fall in love with it and respect it in order to preserve it as well. So we ask our fashion designers each year to create new sustainable and zero waste fashion designs inspired by Cypriot cultural heritage and each year these designs are presented at a fashion exhibition that usually happens in Cyprus in May where people from all around the island can come and visit and engage and um, interact and just learn more about the culture because each uh, garment, each uh, design is created based on each designer's background, family, region, so it's very, very special pieces they create. So now, our we used to have five fashion designers, now we have 10 fashion designers plus two visual artists. So we have seen massive growth with our network and we're very excited for our future.
0: Thank you, Michaelis. Would you like to add to that, especially coming from the fashion text as a fashion textile designer? Uh,
5: Yes, thank you for having us here, Ersin. And as you say, I'm a fashion textile designer Uh, just Last year I was based in Italy, I was working in a company that we are producing textiles for other brands. And um, I had the blessing to work also in Amsterdam with uh, uh, the first sustainable couture designer, Ronald van der Kemp, where I started looking more into sustainability. Uh, Fashion heritage actually inspired us to look at Cypriot heritage and to create pieces inspired from that. As Kristina says, it gives us a platform to showcase our work and to network with like-minded people. And um, I would like to say also about the Sustainable Goal 12, as you mentioned before, like responsible consumption and production, that um, me as a designer, I produce scarves that are made out of recycled plastic bottles and i pros i produce them in the uk because we don't have the um, innovation yet in cyprus to create textiles out of recycled plastic bottles and that's a question that when people hearing that they um, start thinking more about the materials of the clothes they buy at stores so i think it's part of the education that we make them understand that it's possible to have textiles and clothes out of recycled materials and i think it's pushing the industry in cyprus to expand their research and create more materials
0: yeah thank you michaelis that's very interesting um do you have like a fashion show that you you have from the products that you produce uh, I showcase my
5: work in the um, Revive exhibition in Cyprus, which is organised from Fashion Heritage Network Cyprus. And now I will show again in London, in organisation again from Fashion Heritage Network Cyprus.
0: Thank you, Christina. How was it
5: to partner with UnFasip? It was a
4: pleasure working with it for this um, exhibition, for the Revive exhibition, because as I mentioned before it was an exhibition with more participants and we wanted to create even bigger impact and we we know that the UNFIGIP goals for connecting the youth from all the communities in Cyprus and reinforcing peace, uh, peace building as well um, and as an intercommunal project it's so important for us to work with organizations that promote these values as well. So, It was important for us at our exhibition to work with Unshuikib and get the exhibition promoted all around the island so everyone feels welcomed and everyone can participate. And in the end, the exhibition was a massive success across the four days of the exhibition, um, which included also um, some workshops, uh, traditional embroidery workshops, upcycling workshops. Uh, We had a close-up swap, a panel discussion, focused on fashion sustainability. These are things that don't really happen on the island. Too. So to have the support of them give, that was amazing. And we also saw a massive increase of the visitors at the exhibition so from last year we only had 300 visitors and this year at the revived exhibition at the gardens for the future we had 700 visitors so we're the youth itself the people who are coming to our exhibitions are examples that people do want to change and they're happy like eager to learn more about sustainability about their culture so I know people think like we're just the minority of people who care because most young people do not like feel interested in the cultural heritage but our organization is an example to show that young people do want to engage with their culture because if they don't they know they're going to lose it so um, it's very impactful work we are doing currently and um, yes we're very grateful for the support.
0: Yeah I think it is very impactful and actually my next question is how is your work helping the island with sustainable production and I think you've partially um, mentioned that in your last um, comments but how Is your work helping the island with sustainable productions?
4: I think it's what Michali's mentioned as well, changing the mindset, educating, so already from the number of people we have in our group, so we started off with 15 volunteers, now we have 40 volunteers who are interested in our values. and one of the values is sustainability. So we've already seen an increase of young people who care about this and all the members um, are people who have shifted their consumer habits from overconsumption to ethical consumerism. So most of them shop secondhand, they um, upcycle their clothes, they swap with each other or they get clothes from their mothers so they're they're already shifting their habits and these actions influence the rest of the consumers as well so that's the way we create impact and also from our activities that we do throughout the year yes our biggest event is the exhibition but we also try throughout the year to host different kind of um sustainability workshops and speak at different events to actually um, shift how the industry works in Cyprus and we've had the pleasure of working with the uh, Cypriot fashion designers as well to talk about sustainability because it is an issue that really like affects everyone and we do we have seen some uh, slight changes in Cyprus but obviously it does take time
0: so yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it takes time, but I think you're on the right track as you say that the numbers are increasing. Uh, Michaelis, would you like to add anything else to the conversation? Uh, yes,
5: um, actually as the part of production in the island, I would like to say that like uh, my next product will be Kaftan dresses and I decide to produce the fabric in the UK because it's out of recycled plastic bottles, but to make the actual dresses in Cyprus, so I was doing a research to see Uh, how the companies in Cyprus are working. And uh, because I've been on both sides, I've been a consumer, I've been a designer, and I've been also in the production rooms in Italy. And I know the pressure that people have. I decided to take a different road, And like even today, I had a meeting with them and I say, this is the number I want to produce. This is the deadline, but I don't want you to feel stressed about it. I, I I want to focus on the quality. I don't want you to work overtime in order to produce th- these pieces on time. And I was telling because I've been there and I, I work under extreme hours through my career, and I know how it's damaging your mental health. And I don't want to do this to other people. So today I was like, let's do it slower. Let's slow down. Let's just okay. Don't make this number. Make this, but make it good one. Like enjoy it have fun while you're making it this is a this is important and i think this energy it transfer it transfer into the piece of clothing and people feel it i don't mm-hmm. want anyone to suffer in order to create fashion like fashion is fun fashion is our passion and i don't want people to damage their mental health in order to
0: produce things mm-hmm. Thank you both for joining me, that was a really interesting um, conversation and I'm sure our audience enjoyed it too. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we leave? Um, I think one
4: thing is we
0: want to leave
4: um, everyone with some, uh, some tips on how to be more like more sustainable regarding fashion because i think that's like the first step when someone wants to change because it's not an easy shift it's not easy not to buy from fast fashion so um I think we want to recommend to everyone to to support local brands, to support um, small brands as well. And in reality, like um, fast fashion should be your last option. You should try secondhand, upcycling. If you have something and you don't like it, maybe take it to a seamstress, change it. Uh, we just really want to reduce textile waste, which is a massive issue in Cyprus. So um, I think. You just need to buy less, buy better, and make it last. Um, And the second thing I I would like to mention is obviously our uh, upcoming exhibition in London. So we've had the honour to be invited to showcase our Revive exhibition at the Cyprus High Commission in London at the end of September. The exhibition will open on Tuesday 26th of September and it will be open until the 5th of October from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., not including weekends. And yes, we hope to see everyone there to promote our culture and our fashion designers to the rest of the
0: world. Thank you, Christina, and good luck with the exhibition. Now let's talk about the global goal, gender equality. Gender equality is not only a fundamental human right, but a necessary foundation for a peaceful, prosperous, and sustainable world. UNFPA's gender affairs officer, Lauren McAllister, has joined me to talk about this goal. Lauren, welcome.
6: Thank you, Ersten. Thanks for having me.
0: Lauren, how is UNFPA advancing women's participation within the mission and with partner
6: organisations? Sure, Um, first I'll speak to how UNFACIP advances women's participation and gender responsiveness within the mission uh, before going on to how we do so with our external partners. So in general, the principle of women's participation across all of the areas of the mission's work is very significant to to how we uh, approach our operations. One thing I think that we have to recognize when it comes to women's participation is not only about ensuring that women are there and that they uh, have their rightful place within the areas of our work but that their perspectives and their concerns and their viewpoints are able to influence the way that we actually conduct our operations Um, underlying this is the sort of principle that nothing that exists in our societies is or in our operations are, are are void of gender issues we all come at our experiences from our, our particular socialized experience so how we are impacted by our, our gender roles is very significant so for the mission it's very important that we look at uh, women's participation and women's perspectives in all areas of our work that's through a, employing a gender mainstream perspective so looking at all of our um, actions our activities are the way in which we uh, conduct our 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 day-to-day work from how it impacts men and women and the second step there is that if we see that it doesn't have a similar impact we need to take steps to make sure that we are reducing any unintended barriers to women's active participation. So really looking at how the women within our peacekeeping mission are able to equally and meaningfully influence the way in which we conduct our work. That goes from everywhere from how we integrate uh, a gender perspective in our reporting to how we uh, challenge stereotypes and and gender norms in our campaigns and communication strategies, um, to to the issues that we actually address in the way in which we conduct our operations. So really taking a broad (laughs) approach to Um, how we uh, conduct operations that are equally influenced by men and women. When it comes to the work that we do with external partners, you know, women have historically been underrepresented in decision-making roles, not only in Cyprus, but across the world. And so we really look at how, um, and in particular in our intercommunal work, we can support platforms that allow women's perspectives on issues around peace and security to, to be able to be heard and, and to influence the, the overall discourse on peace and security. When we speak to women, we often hear that their, their concerns, their needs, their worries, their aspirations um, may differ from those of men and, and in particular of, of those who often have decision-making roles and so we really try to allow the space and support the, the space that allows women's perspectives to be heard. Now that's one area in which we work with external partners. Another area uh, in order to really broaden who we engage with on, on women's participation is to look at issues of shared concern uh, for women. So thematic areas that may be of consequence that we hear um, are significant to women and then bringing them together based on those issues of shared concern. Uh, So trying to create platforms where they can really deliberate, discuss, engage with one another on issues that matter to them. In the past couple of years, we've also really expanded our work with young people on on women's participation. Uh, because as we know, you know, uh, uh, concepts around gender and, and, and gender identity and gender equality are not fixed, but rather they are very much influenced by uh, generational issues, social issues and whatnot. So we really want to create also spaces where young people can engage on issues around women's participation as they see uh, fit. And so we really look at uh, broader issues that that young people are bringing to, uh us and and try to uh, be responsive to the way that they position gender equality. So those are just some of the ways in which we really try to advance the Women, Peace and Security agenda and, and make it something that becomes integrated into all aspects of our work. Thank you, Lauren. Also, can you tell us about the
0: importance of increasing women in peacekeeping operations?
6: Absolutely. Now in 2017 the UN adopted a system-wide strategy on gender parity and so it looked at um, well it addressed the underrepresentation of women across the UN system and and developed a strategy for how we can remedy that imbalance. The following year a uniform gender parity strategy was also adopted looking at specifically Um, the particular ways in which women were underrepresented in the military and police components. And so, given that in a peace operation such as ours, military and police are uh, quite a, a large demographic of our personnel, this is of particular importance to us. Now, when we're looking at increasing women's participation in peacekeeping operations, I think we need to look at a couple different aspects of that. One is which, it that they have an absolute fundamental right to be there and that we are stronger if we have personnel that represent broader um demographics uh we have a a broader understanding of the contextual area in which we're operating if if we have personnel that actually represent and maybe can highlight areas that um, could be previously overlooked and so it makes us both it it both is a, a fundamental human right but it also increases the operational efficiency of a peacekeeping operation. I can give you an example you know in places where or I I mean in the context of Cyprus even if we have our personnel who may have experiences that mirror the experiences that some of the populations that we will encounter have had we create more opportunities for an increased understanding of the of the situation, increased dialogue with, with the populations that we're here to support, um, and so overall just it creates a much more informed and, and and more responsive type of operation. Now part of this, especially in areas and institutions and organizations that have been traditionally quite male-dominated, it's important not to look at gender parity from the perspective that if if we just allow women to be part of of the respective institution that remedies our problems that's not so because as i mentioned before the institutions that sort of provide structure in our lives are made by people and if if we have excluded a certain population from the the rules that govern that particular organization we haven't actually built those those perspectives into the organizational culture so in the UN's approach it's very much focused to try to create an environment which allows women to actually equally influence the way in which the organization functions itself. And that goes from everything in, in terms of the peacekeeping operation to looking at gender responsive accommodations. So do do women have particular accommodation needs or recreational needs? Do they have specific security concerns that we need to address? Are there, you know, other requirements that we need to consider that will come as we Uh, try to increase their women's representation across these components of our work. So it really is not just a matter of uh, eliminating the the explicit barrier for women's participation, but looking at all of the subtle and not so subtle ways in which implicit barriers can continue to exclude women's participation. So it's really a a holistic and, and all encompassing approach.
0: Um, Lauren, as the Gender Affairs Officer at Alnfaseer, are there any things that you are proud of achieving?
6: Absolutely. I I think one, one thing that consistently makes me proud is the, the work that we've been able to achieve with, with young people uh, in Cyprus through our intercommunal work on, on gender inclusion and women, peace and security. Over the past couple of years, we've uh, conducted a program called the Peacebuilding and Divided Societies Program, which includes both the uh, uh, foundational aspects of uh, conflict analysis and peacebuilding. And it's coupled with uh, social impact projects, where young people actually have to design social impact projects that address issues around gender inclusion, women's participation, but through thematic areas that are in, of interest to them. And for me, seeing the the ways in which young people have shown such interest and hope and collaboration and have have worked together to to achieve very nuanced and, and quite important projects has been very rewarding for me. Another area that I, I feel very proud of is, is being able to support newer demographics, so helping bring together women who may not have other opportunities to do so, uh, to come together collaboratively um, based on, on issues that matter to them. And I think that that is very important for me is not to be prescriptive about what that means. And, you know, uh, through our programming, we've brought together women to share in activities they'd like to do, whether that be handicrafts or language classes, or discussing issues around gender-based violence, um, because it matters to them. So when we get the opportunities to do so, and we really try to look at how we can create those opportunities for for newer constituencies, um, it feels very rewarding to me. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you
0: very uh-huh. much, Ersan. UMFOSIP's Chief of Mission Support, Joel Cohen, has joined me to talk about Global Goal 7, which addresses affordable and clean energy. Joel, welcome.
7: Thank you, Erson. Nice to be here.
0: Joel, we know that UMFOSIP is very committed to reduce its environmental footprint in Cyprus. As Chief of Mission Support, Can you tell us about what are some of the steps taken by the mission to reduce our environmental footprint on the island and increase the use of clean energy in our areas of operation?
7: Uh, thanks, Urson. That's a, a great question. Perhaps before I talk a little bit about some of the steps and measures that the uh, that UMFACIP has taken in reducing our, our footprint and and improving and increasing our use of, of clean energy, uh, perhaps let me take a step back and talk a little bit about not just what what we do, but why we do it. In 2019, the uh, the UN adopted a, a UN Secretariat Climate Action Plan, what they call UNSCAP, which is the organization's response to the climate challenge that we that we face globally, with a number of objectives set over the coming decade, which are d- really designed to rethink and realign operations of the different entities throughout the Secretariat to address recommendations on climate change and improving our environmental um stature, if you like, as 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 an organization. This dates back to the um, some of the uh, recommendations that came from the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change back in 2018. Now one of the things that it's important to note is that the Secretariat accounts for about 60% of the entire UN systems greenhouse gas emissions and of course field operations like UNFACIT are a large part of that. So hence We need to address what the Secretariat does if as an organisation and as a UN family we're going to really make a significant impact and a contribution in addressing um, climate goals. So under this action plan, the the UN has set a number of very ambitious targets for the Secretariat, including peacekeeping operations, as I said, to reduce our carbon emissions, to look at the way that we also reduce uh, electricity consumption uh, and to provide more of a, a sustainable, to focus more on sustainable um, energy, particularly in the way that that might lead to benefits and opportunities for the local communities in which we operate and serve. Two of these targets, which I want to talk a little bit about on, are the re- reduction of energy consumption and the increased use of renewable energy. So in terms of energy consumption, under the ESCAP, under this Climate Action Plan, the Secretariat is required to reduce energy consumption by 20% by 2025 and 35% reduction by 2030. Now, these are very ambitious targets, as you can, I'm sure, you and the listeners can appreciate. In terms of our increased use of renewable energy, what they call uh, renewable penetration in the renewable energy or green energy market, again, the Secretariat is asked to meet a target of 40% of our total energy to be produced from renewable sources by 2025 and 80%. Of our energy to be drawn from renewable energy by 2030, as a as a mission and as an entity in our own right, unfasip is is committed to meeting these these targets on both those fronts. Needless to say, it's they are ambitious, as I said, extremely ambitious targets. And based on our current modelling, we will be certainly have a lot of work ahead of us if we're going to try and meet the the target. That particularly the target of renewable energy, uh, 80% renewable energy by by 2030. At present, we're probably around the heading for a target of of about 60% by that date, which means that we have additional work ahead of us to meet those goals. At present, the current consumption of proportion of, of energy drawn from renewable energy sources in UNFOSIP is 26%. Now that might not seem like a lot, but that's actually in, in a short period of time, we've actually made very significant gains in, the, in this area. And I am proud to say on behalf of the UNFASIP team that we are probably the leading peacekeeping operation on that particular front in terms of what we've done and in, in, in reaching that target. Obviously 26% is not uh, 40% and it's not 80%. So we have it's a strong foundation that we've that we've uh, that we've made, but obviously, as I mentioned before, we have a lot of work ahead of us in terms of what we have done in this particularly in, in reaching this goal we have have done a, a great deal in terms of in terms of in the in, in the mission footprint itself we already have a number of photovoltaic plants that we've established um, throughout the mission area both in hq in, in nicosia but also in the, in the sectors and we continue to invest in infrastructure to promote um, and to accelerate this transition to renewable energy going forward at the same time we are working with local partners both through the government uh, as well as energy providers to um, to purchase green energy and renew and energy that's derived from renewable sources through commercial means so this is, it's a multi-pronged uh, effort if you like and a multi-pronged focus that the mission is pursuing um, and will continue to pursue going going forward. Um, in terms of on more micro level if you like particularly in terms of uh, achieving goals on the reduction of energy which is which plays very much to our environmental footprint We've also made a lot of positive steps in the recent years. Uh, one of them is in terms of lights, uh, which of course is a major piece of equipment, a major part of our, of our infrastructure that, that, is quite, that traditionally has been very heavy on use of electricity. We have been uh, replacing lights, both lights within buildings, but also outside lights, security lights, street lights, etc. throughout all mission locations with photovoltaic LED lights. And these are not only obviously draw, drawing electricity from uh, renewable sources, but also um, lead to a far greater, far less, I should say, and operate on, on far less electricity. So again, much more energy efficient and again, works in uh, in supporting our environmental footprint, reduction of our environmental footprint goals. At the same token, in terms of reducing our electricity and reducing use of non-renewable resources, we've installed a lot more um, infrastructure in terms of plumbing, in terms of heating, installing solar water heaters, installing more energy efficient and water efficient uh, taps, faucets and, and plumbing infrastructure throughout our camps as well. And these things all combined uh, help not only in terms of reducing our use of renewable resources such as water, but also reduce costs as well, which is a, another um, not insignificant um, byproduct of these uh, of these actions. On equipment, in terms of vehicles and generators, we've been pursuing a, a very um, vicious program in terms of acquiring new generators and replacing old, what was these old, dirty energy diesel fuel generators with, with newer types of generators that use clean energy and that produce far lower levels of carbon dioxide. So the, the emissions are far lower. On the vehicle side, where have been replacing uh, diesel vehicles and older vehicles with hybrid vehicles, which of course are far more energy efficient, uh, as well as some of those vehicles with uh, uh, also replacing them with with diesel petrol vehicles, but what we call uh, far lower emission engines. They're called uh, Euro 6, which again are far more fuel efficient, but also produce far less uh, carbon dioxide. So again, benefiting the local environment in two ways: less fuel and less less emissions in the in the community. We do look at further increasing the number of those hybrid and lower emission vehicles as well as looking at procuring electric vehicles and that's something that we are uh, actively looking at as, as we speak and as the infrastructure to support electric vehicles um, and as the technology continues to in, improve, we feel confident that we'll be able to mainstream that and look at that more closely and bringing those electric vehicles into our fleet in the coming years really, I'd say probably in the next 12, 24 month period. So they're basically some of the measures that, that we've really been taking over recent years and that we continue to build on to, to again, to meet our, our environmental goals in this regard
0: thank you for sharing the mission's positive measures to reduce our environmental footprint on the island and increase the use of our clean energy. I'm sure our audience also enjoyed the conversation.